Welcome back to the 78th episode of the OpFagCast. I am Steve Cuff, and today we're going to be talking about some very important things, uh, like the new Captain Marvel movie that just came out that I didn't see, but we're going to talk about it for nine hours, and I'm either going to give it one star or five stars. So that's that's the plan. And joining me for this discussion, it's Sean Glittis. Hello. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, one star or five stars for the movie you haven't seen yet? Uh, Captain EO? Yeah, Captain EO. I give it four stars, one for each uh, X of my experience. Oh, that's that's exciting. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the SJWs that are trying to destroy Michael Jackson at Disney World. Maros, what are your thoughts on all this? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. He he's he wants that Simpsons episode. The Simpsons episode is canon, right, Myros? Well, uh, he's not credited on the episode. We could we could just pretend, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So- Sometimes things come back to haunt you, as we will maybe talk about later in this episode <laughs> yeah what are we are we really uh, as a society indicting michael jackson in 2019 <laughs> i thought we did that like 25 fucking years no ago. We, we didn't i i think it's the same thing as r kelly where everybody was like this is bad but then nothing just happened so then it, it took a, a a television series to make people actually care which is sad yeah but one of these people could be prosecuted the other one's just fucking worm food so what the hell's the point <laughs> yeah I mean, that's we all true. know there was that's something true. fucking weird I, and shitty going on with the guy i i, I remember I, uh, this is a flashback to our longtime listeners to the um episode where we talked about uh uh, what's the movie about my parents uh, shrunk me? Honey, I shrunk the kids. Uh, when we talked about that, I prefer your alternate. <laughs> my parents <laughs> my shrunk parents me. Shrunk me. <laughs> diary. Oh, shit, my parents shrunk me. <laughs> MTV Diary. My parents shrunk me. Um, but uh, my uh, yeah, Honey, I shrunk the kids. When we talked about the Captain EO forty X experience, um, I feel like they should have done that with Leaving Neverland. Right? Yeah, probably it probably would have been better. Yeah, like the 4D experience, so you get like water blasted on you and shit. I think that'd be good. And his like Michael Jackson's arms around you, like fake, yeah, just fake like a warm embrace. Yeah, a platonic warm embrace. That's that's what it's all about, right? You're oddly I- silent on this, Myros. Uh, I don't know. It seems like a hell of a good time at the at the park, you know. I yeah. I I don't I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Again, with the Michael Jackson thing, what he he put out an album in like the early two thousands. Did he? Didn't anyone decide to raise right. a stink then? Or I, I I don't understand. And the R. Kelly thing, I'm gonna go ahead and say that one's not my fault because it's like <laughs> now you're watching this shit from you know 1994 or whatever. When he's with Aaliyah, who's like 12, and he's married to her. And everybody in these interviews is just like, how old are you anyways, Aaliyah? And she's like, well, age ain't nothing but a number. I'll never tell. And then you're like, uh, she's definitely 12. And no one no one really cared. That that was it. Yeah. Well, I distinctly remember being like a j- junior in high school, I think, when the whole uh, 
urination thing mm-hmm. <laughs> came to pass. Yeah. I, I, I just kind of assumed. And then when I, I was watching this Gail King uh, interview, because it's hilarious, uh, and it was, they were talking about the trial, and they're like, 2008. I'm like, what? What that's six years after this fucking happened. How the fuck was the trial in 2008? You You do bring up a good point, Steve, about the fact that like people all of a sudden need to arbitrate like the proper dealing with this once a fucking TV show is made. Like, yeah, and I understand that like, um, this is this also is part of the fallout of like, uh, actual you know corporations doing something like pulling an episode from the simpsons archive which is like a very beloved series obviously but like i I don't know it's 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 so simple like we like (laughs) and i i saw somebody brought it up like whatever your feelings are and whether you know you should watch cosby on tv anymore whatever like those things I, i saw somebody um Post that they, you know, they're glad that they bought the set and it, uh, of Simpsons because whatever, like it's still something. And mm-hmm. I remembered when they took off the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode of Seinfeld, they stopped putting it in syndication. I can't remember if they're still doing that or not, but like, um, that's one of those things where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm glad I have that on physical media just because it does exist still it's still something that exists and if if i want to watch it i can yeah that's it's just yeah it's a weird erasure um or or sort yeah, of pretend like erasure that, yeah it, well, and- god i mean what is the what is the what is the point of any of it like who does this help <laughs> Well, what the now fuck? That what the I fuck can't is watch wrong Happy with Birthday Lisa or whatever? What <laughs> is the victims are unraped or something? I, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. Maybe they should just uh, put it back into the collection and, and any money they make from streaming it, they should give to the victims. And I get like I get people not wanting to watch that. Like that's that's uh, you know obviously something that people might experience. Um, but personally. Like I'm, I don't care about The Simpsons. I've never cared about The Simpsons ever since my mom didn't let me watch it because I said, uh, "What the hell is that?" in the grocery store. Um, uh, yeah, that was Bart's fault. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm glad people out there have. You know, um, that was another one of those things like Seinfeld that once it came out on physical media was like a huge item. Um, so it's not in danger of being extinct or anything like that. So the people that want to watch that, I'm sure we'll be able to find that. Yeah. Well, and this is part of a, a broader trend where, uh, especially in the, in the world of, you know, like uh, criminal justice, you're actually only allowed to care about cases, uh, that are talked about in documentaries or podcasts. So <laughs> literally like, just like shithead white people like ourselves who decide to do a true crime podcast, uh, they, they are the arbiters of, of, of what gets reassessed more or less. So this is why, like we, we you know, we got serial and then, uh, that Adnan guy, his, his case gets looked at again. And now he's got a follow-up documentary on like HBO or something. And so, uh, we get, we get another crack at it. <laughs> Yeah, that's how things work. And it's just like this podcast where the only films that you're allowed to talk about or think about or watch are the ones that we deem to be important and worthy of that distinction. Yes. So Bloomhouse. <laughs> yeah, Bloomhouse. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Only watch Bloomhouse. I, I do feel I, I'm not sure how to like articulate it or whatever, but like I do feel uncomfortable with 
the true crime stuff like the the not as as texts but the reactions around them and the following of them i do feel really uncomfortable with the way that that they seem to be uh part and parcel with with the way that people talk about game of thrones deaths um Mm -hmm. and it's i don't know it's uncomfortable it is it is a little bit odd that's that's for sure and also uh most true crime podcasts i mean coming from a podcaster who uh largely makes podcasts that are unlistenable for the vast majority of human beings (laughs) a lot of these are just they're just shit podcasts and somehow this is this is how we decide things it's how it's done baby but hey, uh, enough about the the sad state of uh, of you know the world of podcasting and media of which we are an integral part of. I just want to let you guys know, in case you were wondering, we can't let physical media die. Uh, I, re- I read this on, on Film School Rejects, and if you're not familiar with Film School Rejects, uh, I believe as fellow optimism vacciner Jack Eason put it. There's a reason why they were rejected. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're looking for the world's easiest dunk, like we're talking like, you know, Dikembe Mutombo on Spud Webb here. Uh, yeah, you just <laughs> scroll through Film School Rejects. It's pretty great. I, I want to I read you a, a little, little nugget that Sean brought to our attention that just really, really illustrates the great content coming out of this fabulous website and, and just the absolutely wonderful human beings that are making it. This one's from uh, Kieran Fisher. Shout out to Kieran, loyal listener. Hey, he's an show. Irishman, just like our lad uh, Jack Eason. Can Jack have a, a talk with him about this, maybe? Irishman to Irishman? <laughs> yeah, they, they have a conference call every Monday, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So this is a paragraph that someone wrote and then an editor didn't think was bad, Uh, if I may. It's no secret that disc sales have been declining for years now. According to Statista, which is where I get all my stats from, uh, streaming and digital formats have been surpassing home media format sales since 2016. This is, of course, no surprise. Uh, Although... I don't even know how you get that because like you can if you buy something from iTunes I guess that registers as a sale or if you like register like an ultraviolet copy of a Blu-ray or whatever that registers as something but you don't like Netflix doesn't release numbers for movies and I don't know how I I don't think Amazon or Hulu is is really throwing that information around I was wondering either I I was wondering that uh last week about um hulu if they do or not because the conversation was always around netflix um Mm -hmm. do people get hulu numbers or is that just something that nobody really talks about i don't think so and and the other thing is is there's no like there's no in between here so if i buy a copy of a of a blu-ray there's like a there's an intermediary here so there's there's like sales receipts and there's proof that these things happen it's just like sound scan with music or whatever uh but yeah there's no i don't know it's 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 difficult and it also doesn't account for the fact that people also steal shit digitally so (laughs) you know some people they steal shit digitally and then they go out and they buy a physical copy if they like something but i i don't know if this means that people are buying fewer films or seeing fewer films or if they're just 
you know, curating their taste better, you know? It's not like I'm going to blind buy a, a lot of random mass-release DVDs or, or Blu-ray discs. Anyways, right. here comes the best sentence ever written, ever, in the history of, of film criticism. <laughs> Furthermore, Blu-ray Blu sales dropped a further... 15% in 2018, which further proves that the warning signs of physical media potentially dying are there. As a pop culture enthusiast, this worries me. How many, how, how just how do you do that? How, how does that not get the red pen revised? What, why are you yeah, writing these things? It really sucks. The, the, the age that we're living in is awful <laughs> um, because anyone can be a certified press, like credentialed, you know, writer, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that I've benefited from myself. I was going to um, thank you, Rotten Tomatoes certified film critic Sean Glynnis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get I get free stuff and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, th but as someone who is part of that i've seen a lot of stuff that just should not get by that does because there are really low not only are there low editorial standards but there's there's even lower checks and balances um just th there isn't sort of the like it, it's just it's just about putting more and more content out there and mm -hmm. not about good content and and so if someone comes to you and says like hey i have a pitch for i heard this panasonic blu-ray went out of business or uh, went out of production i i have this article about um the end of the Blu-ray. So, oh yeah, send it to me. This guy probably, you know, the the editor in chief probably reads it on his lunch break at his day job, and it's like, okay, cool. Like breezes through it, formats it, formats it on WordPress or whatever the hell, and then like publishes it, and and, and that there it goes. Uh, what? Well, and these are all these are like content factories too. Like right. if if you click on this author's name, he's posting like a dozen things because sure. all he's getting is. All those stupid emails that, that we ignore that's like, hey, here's a random PR news tidbit. And all these all these companies are doing, and by companies I mean like, you know, random blogger collectives are doing is they're just copy-paste the PR release and then they say like three things about it. And then they'll paraphrase whatever PR speak is given to them in, in the press release email. And that's it. Sure. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, and or well, like companies that, love yeah. it. <laughs> it's and great because in chief is probably like in the slack saying like, "Hey, anybody got a take on this? We should cover this." And somebody goes, "Oh yeah, I'll get that to you by fucking noon." <laughs> Ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. What, what's interesting is that like uh, taking a look over. I, I know um, last year, probably around the same time, we talked about a, a film school rejects article um, about cinema, about saving the the cinema house. Um, which was delineated by supporting concessions yeah, and popcorn. Clean, <laughs> cleaning up after yourself, um, <laughs> <laughs> wiping your own ass. Like it was, it was like the weirdest thing. But like, I also found another, another one that they did in between those, in, in between these two, um, 
and I can't remember what the, the exact uh, subject was, but they all came down to like the author, like just basically, you know, reading one of these press releases, like you're saying about some big announcement about numbers or end of production mm. of this, blah, blah, blah. And just saying like, we need to support this. And that's the thrust. And there is no like understanding of like broader, like capitalist, like nuances right. it's not an economic <laughs> no. there's no economic roots to an article like this no especially the cinema one it's like well if you think there's an appreciable economic difference to a theater owner if someone fucking dumps popcorn on the ground then obviously i don't think you understand their business model but uh i don't even know what the purpose of this blu-ray thing is i guess I, as someone who's who doesn't give a shit if physical media just went away tomorrow. I mean, I, I, the issue is preservation. I, and if that's the point you want to make in your article. But to me, there's other ways around that. I, I feel like the, the great failing of the digital age is that the library system is kind of the great failing. I, I feel like, I don't know. I was just having this conversation where it, I can go to a library and I can check out a book if I want it. Well, almost any book, mm-hmm. I could I could get it. They could ship it. And a lot with the same way with movies. See a movie, I could go to my library. I can get this movie. Why isn't this transitioning to digital? I mean, obviously the reason is there's no money to be made. But but you mean digital theory, libraries? I I do mean digital libraries. What I'm and I know there's stuff like Canopy, right. but. but Theoretically, we have a system wherein there could be a, a network where all all this information is preserved by the federal library system. And, and it, I wouldn't have to pirate these movies because I could become a member of the library and fucking check it out. I could have myself a, a nice checkout of any piece yeah. of media on Earth. Why the hell not? It's mm-hmm. so fucking insane that people browbeat people about piracy. It's it, it It's so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, because there are, but also like the answer is not like, well, maybe you should be supporting this and this and this. It's like, we have, we're drowning in student debt. <laughs> like, yeah, what fuck you. you. What, and, and still, and still like, I, I know just speaking like for Steve and I, particularly two people with a lot of student debt, we're buying a ton of shit. And like, mm-hmm. I subscribe to magazines. I buy more physical media than is probably healthy. But like, this is like, you still, there's stuff that that's out there that's not preserved. And, mm-hmm. and then it's also like, well, I do want to support these boutique places. I don't want to have to support Sony. Like, uh, it, it's just so frustrating yeah. when you see these like publications that claim to be industry publications being like, you know, which are supposed to chart things. Like, I wish that it was more of a copy paste of these press releases. You know, you know, like if I were the editor in chief of film school rejects and I was just like, and I had a, a cupboard of unpaid writers, I would say, Hey, can somebody just formulate this into a news piece? This is not a fucking news piece. This is an op-ed like that. You know, it is a news piece, but somebody like did this stupid spin on it. Somebody who doesn't know anything. It's just like, just give us the numbers. That would be great. So yeah, 
So he endeavored to write an article about the death of physical media. Instead, wrote an article about the death of film journalism. Exactly. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's I mean, almost like a we... performance art piece. Honestly, it's yeah. What's what's to be expected? The economic realities of that industry are staggering in and of themselves. It's virtually no one who can make a living as a film critic. I mean, no. You Unless guys your just parents said are wealthy. you could become an any one of us talking to you right now, and probably most of you listening could become Rotten Tomatoes accredited film critics. It's not a, a great process. Right. To it. Put all you have to do is is start writing down your random idiot thoughts uh, about every movie you see, and uh, doesn't matter you know. how uneducated you are. Yeah, right. And but I, I I'm not going to hold this guy to a high standard because he's probably making fifty dollars an article. Uh, no, Maybe he's a staff writer. He's probably making. Oh God, I wish he was making fifty dollars an article. I would be surprised for film school rejects if I had to guess. Like uh, I, I would say yeah, 30 15 maybe. To, to twenty probably. I guess it depends on they probably for for like little like quick hit news pieces that are just the copy paste stuff. That's probably ten bucks, and then. Uh, longer pieces, like if you get to like fifteen hundred words, maybe like twenty, twenty five dollars. It's it's horrible. It's dog shit, but it's yeah, but it's reality. It is, I don't know if these blurbs are are done by staff writers, but even staff writers are making dick, especially considering they're probably expected to live in a major city in America. It's like what the fucking hell? Oh sure, how could any, none of it's sustainable. Sure, and, and well, how you how should... can these these people like? Okay, so. You know, it's it's easy to dunk on people that, you know, they, they make wild claims. Uh, I'm sure we'll joke about this later, but someone from Vice UK wrote about Happy Death Day to you. And it, with the bold headline of Which is Happy Death total. Day to you is the first horror film to deal with grief. And all I can think of is... Oh my God! Like literally, all of them do. Like you would, you would have to. <laughs> that like, is. If, if I'm going through my movie collection, I, and I'm like, okay, so horror films. Here we go. Uh, grief, grief, grief. How, how? The article is is also rubbish. But like the headline, that was like Vice dunking on their own like vaguely paid like writers. Oh sure, because he's not writing the headline. So no. He wrote a kind of shitty article that wasn't fleshed out or really well thought out. And, and who can blame him? Because it's just, again, it's it's about speed. It's not about quality uh, for people that are in this line of work. And then, yeah, and then some editor advice scans over it and then writes a ridiculous headline. And that's just what's how weird. It works. What's weird is that the dude who penned the, the article was like sticking up for the article like like not with the caveat that like oh they did me dirty like huge um online like not that at all it's just it's like i would i would be so pissed i mean first of all like that that, that would be an embarrassing right article right but like if if you like spend time on something that you think is thoughtful and then you get that headline like i don't like it's not worth fifteen dollars, you know. Like to look that no, shitty, it's it's really not. And, and the thing is, with, with all this physical media stuff, going back to it too, is you know, and and this comes down to like critics being able to consume, especially older films, and kind of you know get get a deeper understanding of both contemporary and, and, and past cinema. And and you can't do that, you know. If if you are relying on something like Netflix, like I think like one percent of Netflix's movies that they have streaming are are made uh, before the twenty first like century, nineteen fifty years. Yeah, 
Probably and then, well, and then yeah, you go, you go back even further than that. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we've got some, like, remember the 90s shit. And then past that, it's like, there's there's nothing before 1950 on Netflix that you could find. Good fucking luck. So you, you have that problem. And then you do have these services like Canopy. So, Sean, you live mm-hmm. in uh, the great city of Lansing, Michigan. Population, who the fuck cares, right? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, the, it's the capital Like 100K district. or something. Yeah, 100,000. So I live in Milwaukee, which is probably about a half a million people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have access to Canopy through right. our, our library system. I, we, got, we have the best fucking basketball team in the NBA right now, and I, I, can't, I can't get shit off of Canopy. <laughs> so that's a problem. It's and the really other problem strange. with this article, and, and this is why you have to contextualize things and like think critically about shit before you just publish numbers that say that streaming is up, sales are down. Yet the reason sales are down is because I don't want to buy a bare-bones copy of of fucking eighth grade uh, for twenty dollars yeah exactly and and that's that's what's happening because yeah like right now you're they're stripping away all the special features and they're giving you a bare bones disc and i don't need that in my life i i I buy physical media but i buy it for the supplemental stuff in addition to the movie and if you look at boutique labels if you look at criterion if you look at you know shout factory scream factory jesus like they are putting out uh, arrow uh, indicator movies that twilight time yeah yeah people movies that people don't even like i mean obviously there's some heavy hitters but there's also movies that are like oh this is like a long lost croatian art film that we restored and then it's you know it's sold out you know so these yeah. things yeah, sell something tells me these these boutique labels are not seeing appreciable sales no. differences due to the rise of streaming no they're not if, if it's anything it's a different it's, market yeah if anything it's it's increasing their sales because through things like piracy, if there is a you know a horror film or something that was only released on VHS in 1984, I can find a torrent of it, and it'll look like shit, and I'll probably have a bunch of lingering questions. So the moment that a label like Arrow or Scream Factory or whoever releases it on Blu-ray, it's like, oh, it's loaded with all these special features. It's a movie that I saw and I liked, but it looked like shit. Of course I'm going to buy it. Yeah, and we watched this Ice is the Cream same- Man. Yeah, like Ice Cream Man. That's a great example. But if you if you look at it, like contextualize this next to all these articles that have come out in the last few years about how vinyl's making a comeback. Well, how how many music when you look at music sales broadly, most music sales now are digital. And then you know what? CDs still sell better than than vinyl. I guarantee you that. Okay. So you have that, but vinyl continues to survive because there is a niche market for it and it's growing but there's like a cap on it so yeah if you make something that sounds good if you make something that looks good then people are gonna fucking buy it but if you're if you're giving me a bare bones disc i don't give a shit if you're trying to sell me a cd of some fucking new shitty weezer cover album for 25 dollars at your local sam goody i'm not gonna buy that shit that's why people and, stream things from places like spotify but if you give someone a package that, that you know it actually has some meat to it yeah people are gonna pay for it and honestly like especially in the u.s uh it really does come down to student loan debt like yeah I, I, like if I if I wasn't paying like as much as I was a month for like to, to pay back debt, like you better believe I'd be buying more stuff like vinyl. I'd be buying the shit out of vinyl. But like as it stands now, I buy like a couple here and there and I try to get as much used stuff as I can that costs less. But like 
yeah like i would have a lavish lifestyle like yeah and and that's that's i mean and this speaks to all of the you know millennials are killing x articles that are out there and and all of this shit boils down to the fact that if i look at you know where i'm at now how much money i make how much healthcare costs for me how much student debt i have my student debt is probably tenfold of what both of my parents combined had in the early 1980s. Furthermore, my salary is about on par with what my father made when he got his first sales job in like 1981 or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and, and things were cheaper back then and he didn't have a mountain of student debt. So, yeah, guess what? I'm not buying a fucking house tomorrow. Guess what? I'm not buying a brand new car and I'm going to drive my shitty Hyundai until it literally explodes and engulfs me in flames because <laughs> where is this shit supposed to come from? You know? Well, God, and if you did, you know, there's there comes a time where buying a house should probably be a, a higher priority than buying a, a new Blu-ray copy of Deadpool 2. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and that's what it comes wish. down to is, is you it's like, yeah, you can't infuse money into luxury products and, and, you know, little things here and there because, yeah, it's at some point it's like, well, shit. I mean, what are, what are you going to do? You just got to have like if you're writing this stuff and well, I'll, I'll come back to the end. But like if you're writing these things, like, please just have like an understanding that like the answer is not like Uncle Sam pointing at you like it, it's. It, it's so much broader like there is so much like there's so many other factors going on and just like well this is this industry's dying we need to support it if we don't support it it'll just die faster it's like well instead of like trying to make a point you know it's not a student essay where you have to like wrap it up that's not what journalism is like you can talk about the you know what's happening what what's happening with the industry how it's like the, the performance numbers and all this stuff maybe talk about why you think that is you don't have to have like a call to action mm-hmm. um but uh, I, I don't know it's it's so frustrating but if you're an editor you don't have to publish this piece if it comes to you like this yeah you you can have like you can you can stick up for yourself and the publication that you represent and say like hey what about this what about this or even if you keep the call to action because you know this is this kieran fisher's voice and and he's really the one you know that's on the chopping block here then you can at least take out three furthers in one sentence at least do a little editing please jesus jesus uh, yeah, I I don't know, and honestly, if if you want to make a strong case against streaming, I think a good place to start is uh, a, a little anthology series that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> because as you know, everyone at Optimism Vaccine is a big fan of uh, Bloomhouse or Blumhouse, depending on if you're a tomato or a tomato guy. But I, I, I think our fandom comes from the fact that they make. Movies that aren't these these aren't life changing experiences. They're they're you know they're smart. They're entertaining. They're short, and they just get the job done. And that's twenty first century Corman. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's just good. It's like when I'm sitting with a can of Pringles and I fucking crush the whole thing. That's how yeah. a good Bloomhouse uh, movie makes me feel. 
Yeah, I mean they're not always smart, but that's kind of the charm. Yeah, right? yeah. well, it's it's just, even, it's even when they're my favorite, they're they're endearing. It's like it's like a, a fucking dog like banging its head against a coffee table. Like it, it laughs and it abuses me, even if it's I, not I the would, smartest thing in the world. I would go. I would take the chips analogy to uh, the Doritos Roulette pack, which is oh, yeah. uh, you know you don't know if you're gonna get a nice spicy one or just something dull. Like, but it's all in this bag. And uh, you're, you're into it, and and you're you're willing to check out which chip you got. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, if we're talking, uh, we're having a broad discussion about business models here. This is probably my favorite one in Hollywood right now, where you know basically they just say, "Ah, eh, this seems like a fine idea. Here's a few million dollars. Go make it." And yeah. Maybe this good good ideas. Yeah. If it we'll sinks, something. it sinks. You know. Yeah. yeah. Good ideas, modest budgets, and they're not blowing all their money on stars to try and prop up a movie. They're just kind of letting it out there. And it, it, the business model works, obviously, because even if a film is only a modest success, because the budgets are so low, it doesn't fucking matter. And they also, smartly, with a lot of these movies, they'll they'll pump money into the marketing more than they will into the production. So they just get people hyped up around the movie. Now... If if you make a movie like you know a Marvel movie or any any number of big budget action movies or we talked about in the last episode Serenity, which is the opposite of a, a Bloomhouse movie, wherein they they threw all this money at these big stars and then attached the stars to the most batshit fucking lunatic script of all time, and an idiot for a director. And well, I mean, what what they ended up having was a trash masterpiece in my mind. But no one no one paid to see it, and they lost their ass on it. I'm sure because it cost a lot of money. So, Bloomhouse, if if they release a film, and it's like, oh, it only made twenty five million dollars. Well, great, it only cost like six million to make. So who gives a shit? That's a that's yeah, a huge even success. If a, even if a movie literally made zero dollars, like Serenity, probably lost. I'd say at least fifty million dollars would be my guess. Yeah. How many movies would Bloomhouse have to uh, make that were just abject failures? I'm talking right. like historically bad openings, a $10,000 theater run or something. They could make 15 movies that opened with historically terrible uh, numbers, and they would still come out in the same shape as whatever studio just released fucking Serenity sure, one time. Sure, so because It I, just they, makes sense. They learned their lesson, and it's, it's weird to me that... It's taken a studio so long to come around to this because, I mean, you had you had like Blair Witch in the late 90s, obviously. And then but no one really capitalized on the idea of like, what if we, you know, clearly with the right marketing, you can make a shitload of money on movies with no stars and, uh, you know, tiny production uh, budgets. And then they, they came out with Paranormal Activity, which is in the same wheelhouse as Blair Witch, the found footage style, obviously. And that movie costs nothing, again, and it made an absolute killing. And and their entire business model, now obviously they don't, they don't just do found footage movies, but they've been able to clone that same business idea of, yeah, small budget, decent marketing, push it out, and it'll do well enough. And that's, that's really all you yeah, need. Yeah, like, you could look at Paranormal Activity and Get Out, and that's, like, more money than... The average studio makes sure like ever, ever. just those two yeah. movies there's I, I can't remember uh, the details i read um an interview with jason bloom um uh a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how paranormal activity was sort of the um real turning point for him like or 
like he kind of learned through you know trial and error kind of like michael richards did um that like uh you you can't like keep swinging for the fences and so he did this paranormal activity thing and you know obviously the rest is history but um i looked up serenity and it had a 25 million dollar budget and it made oh that's lower than i would have thought it made eight um so it lost quite a bit but also yeah that marketing was big and the marketing had to go like two rounds because it, it was in the trailers were in cinemas like in september and then again in like december or january Oh, sure. Yeah. So a movie like that, uh, it feasibly could have still lost $50 million out of $25 million budget. That's just the way the reality of the industry. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But, you know, I, and that's why usually with Blue Mouse movies, like I don't I don't love every single one. That's for sure. But their, their track record is solid. And it's, it, you know, it, and it kind of works on just, it's like, it's a fun, it, it reminds me of like Canon films in the 1980s, although at some point Canon decided to expand into bigger and bigger budgets and that's how they eventually sunk themselves. But I am really shocked at how profoundly shitty their Hulu series is. <laughs> and it, it's interesting to me because... One, their their usual like marketing machine doesn't seem to really no. be fully behind this series. Two, I am a hundred percent convinced that Hulu gave them a ridiculous deal, and that regardless of how well the Into the Dark series performs, I think you know Jason Bloom's going to be laughing all the way to the bank. But all of these movies, <laughs> right and I, didn't, collecting I didn't watch his all of them. Checks. Yeah. They should, they should be cutting us checks. We're doing all the marketing for them. No, but, us, the Jordan Peele movie. <laughs> oh, yes. all the Jordan Peele film. They should, no. but they should be, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but these are all, at least the ones that I watch, they're, they're horrible, and they also sort of betray what makes Bloomhouse movies good because mm -hmm. of the ones that I watched, none Which of them were, were what, fun. the first three? Uh, I watched the first... Three and then the last one, I think. I don't know. I watched, okay. yeah, the first three and then the last one. There's no, there's just nothing there. They're they're visually so, bland. the 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 dialogue is shit. The, the story and the scripts are they're they're shit. And there's just there's nothing there. They have zero personality at all. So a couple of things that we should get out of the way. One, uh, what this is, which is a horror yeah, explain anthology. Explain this. <laughs> It's a horror anthology series of films, which are all standalone. But uh, so each month for 12 months, starting last October, they're releasing a horror film that uh, so far through the first half of the series has run like uh, 82 to 93 minutes. So just very brief, uh, kind of like a, a long episode of prestige television um, each and uh, they each have to do, or they, they're all set during a holiday. So, you know, we got Halloween, we got Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, uh, Valentine's Day, and spring break. Um, and they've gotten... Well, that last one, I'm not so yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. About. <laughs> they've gotten looser and looser. Like, the Valentine's Day one is, like, 
very vague as well. The spring break yeah, one what, is what almost is the non-existent. March one? Is it really what? spring break? It's just yes, like the yes. Ides he, of March. That because seems uh, to the, be. the character, the character, which we'll get back to, is um, uh, on a break, and it came out during spring break. So um, that's sort of the tie. And the next month will be Easter. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do in May. Is there like a Labor Day thing in May or President's Day? Or, no, we already had President's Day. Uh, Memorial Day? Yeah, that'd be the one. And then July or June? I don't know. What what the hell is in June? I, just... uh, I don't know. Maybe solstice or something. <laughs> and then 4th of July and so on. But yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter because they're all standalone. I think the first one is probably... Mm. Um, the first one is probably the most contingent on that theme. Yeah, well, because, yeah, it assumes that there's, like, a major holiday in each month. I don't know. I guess for June you could do Father's Day, but that one's already been oh, done yeah. to death. Flag Day, maybe? Someone gets impaled by a flag? But then <laughs> so 4th of I, July, you'd think you'd go with the patriotic thing. I don't know. What's, I don't know what August and September are either, but uh, we'll see. Who is it? Uh, I have no idea. We'll, we'll be back. It in, doesn't matter. So, we'll These be are, back uh, in October to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've covered half the run. I'm sure we'll probably play out the string just because we're loyal Bloomhouseites. But this is rough. I, <laughs> it's it's been a rough journey here. Well, I and, was and, kind of excited for this model, especially coming yeah. off you know having viewed Cam, which I thought was quite excellent. Yeah, uh, and a movie that was kind of there. I don't know if it was their first, but it's probably the first that I'm aware of that went directly to streaming. Uh, and this model theoretically seems interesting, I suppose, because obviously these are significantly lower budget than their theatrical releases. And uh, I believe that they're just, you know, Jason Bloom said he had scripts laying around. People submit a lot of scripts to him. So, yeah, well, why not that's that's what this feels like. Him, but, so Cam is yeah. a good point because mm-hmm. Cam on Netflix, I enjoyed it too. And it's it's a movie that it's it's very much in the Bloomhouse mold where no recognizable faces really. And it's like a brisk 80 minutes and it, it really flies by pretty quick. But also while you're watching it, you can kind of say to yourself, oh, I get why this is streaming and, and wasn't pushed into movie theaters because the content is... Uh, I mean, it's it's like hypersexual in nature and also hyper specific in that it covers like a, a kind of cam new girl. ish realm of sex work in cam girls. There's a lot of dildos. And I don't know if if the theatrical yeah. world is ready for, you know, the dildo revolution. I don't know if we're there yet. So yeah. that makes sense. But all of these movies, they just feel like. They're TV movies to the core. Like that yeah, is. Yeah, it feels like some IFC Midnight shit. Basically. Even though, even though Hulu and Netflix are peers, the Cam is like a VOD movie. Like it, that's sort of the parlance that we would refer to that. Whereas these are very much TV movies. They have the aesthetic of a TV episode and the tone. Um, and it's something that, you know, for the middle of a lot of these, you can watch while doing dishes or folding laundry or whatever, and still sort of like get the point. Uh, they're very much TV-based. I was just, I was kind of thinking, you know, again, like Cam is too fringe to put in theaters. And I'm like, well, maybe, uh, is a lot of, uh, you know, just scripts that are not going to find an audience. They're fucking strange, uh. You know, they're just inappropriate for a theatrical release. And we'll 
we'll get some of those. Sure, they'll be on the cheap end, but that's all right. At least you know you're giving these filmmakers a place to exhibit their their strange ideas, and that's just it's not what we're getting. It's not even what we're getting in the sense that these writers it's not a lot of writer directors creating these it seems yeah. like there's a lot of you know kind of professional directors for hire mm-hmm. picking up these scripts that they they put them halfway through the paper shredder and decided uh maybe we could do something with this yeah it feels very someone should have gone all the way through the fucking shredder I'll oh tell yeah you that. oh yeah <laughs> it feels very similar to a series god this must have been over a decade ago maybe a maybe a little bit longer than a decade ago but do you guys remember the Masters of Horror series? Oh yeah, definitely what I thought of. Too. Yeah, so at, at least that was. I read the. Or, I think that had more ambition. Yeah, it well, was referenced and, and, in, in a review that I was reading of these, but I don't know what that is. So the gimmick is, uh, basically, Masters of Horror was. I think it ran on a premium TV station like Stars or something. But I think Showtime. Showtime. Think Showtime okay, so the idea was. They uh, they're they're all about an hour long. Some of them had like extended cuts or whatever, but they're they're pretty much all capped at about sixty minutes. And each one was directed by a master of horror. So you know, like Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. John Krasinski. Yeah, John Krasinski, the ultimate master. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they and and they you know they say okay, so this this week is Wes Craven and Wes Craven's story is this and blah blah blah, and then they just kind of push it out there. But the problem was is all of these scripts, and I'm not sure if they were all writer director, but they uh, I think I think a, a good amount of them were, but most of them felt like things that they had just lying around for like a decade or more. and and anytime they tried to pitch it to a studio, they were like, well, listen, I know you're Wes Craven. I know you're Toby Hooper. I know you're Lucky McKee or whatever. You're not allowed to make this. You, this is not okay. No, it's not good. Don't do this. We're not gonna give you money for this. And then Masters of Horror came along, and they're like, hey, you want to do a little uh, thing here? Do whatever you want, Master of Horror. And they're like, all right, sure. And without fail, I would say like 95% of them are just unwatchable, straight to the fucking garbage bin trash. And then mm-hmm. at best, like the, the finest offerings in the, in the Masters of Horror series are mostly just, just unremarkable. Like they just get the job done, and that's it. But... God, there's so many terrible ones. The Toby Hooper one, I think it was called like Dance of oh. the Dead, and it had like Robert oh, yes, Anglin in it. That is indeed what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> Where Robert Anglin is like a carnival barker, like electrocuting corpses. It's it's fucking unwatchable. There's another one. Uh, oh God, I don't know who the director was, but it's called like Pelts, and it's just about meatloaf like skinning people. It's <laughs> oh, I think that was uh, friggin' Larry Cohen. Yeah, Larry Cohen, great. Yeah, so Larry Cohen has been waiting decades to make his meatloaf skins a man film and see this would be fucking great if that's what jason bloom did with this and it seems like he did it with like two directors of the first six so far where it's like uh you know he gave one to nacho v uh which fucking that's not his script oh well sure but like i mean as far as like giving him the helm Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Nacho V gets a movie here. That's a name that is somebody who's a creative person, uh, whether you like his films or not. Like he's doing something in all of them, is, from what I gather. Yeah. And, and then you get uh, New Year, New You, which is the one by Sophia Takal, who is also doing like they. 
she has a very specific point of view and seems to actually be making something that means something and and is actually saying something and then you get something like the body which is the first one about halloween that's just like a short film turned into fucking 85 minutes or the one after that flesh and blood which is like this house agoraphobe daddy daughter thriller that is easily turned into a 60 minute tv show that is turned into 93 minutes yeah that that one has a real feel of like a lifetime original horror yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's it's like stir of echoes light but yeah, but yeah it, it it totally just is like it's so straightforward you're like uh so is dylan mcdermott the killer you're like or dermot moroni dermot mulroney sorry <laughs> uh i'm the first to ever confuse <laughs> no um you're like, oh, so d- did he kill the, the wife? It's like, yes. Like, five minutes in, it's like, yes, yes, he did. And then we see He's them the struggle killer. in the house for, like, the last yeah. 30 minutes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's just like, there's no, there, there's nothing to it. It's just immediately like, yes, he's a killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are we going from here? Well, and then they just, they just sit around in the house and go like, I think you're a killer. He's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm your father. And then <laughs> 90 minutes later. The other thing uh, he was the killer, so they kill him. <laughs> the other thing that makes these these movies really difficult to sort of I don't especially watching them like a, a TV series, which is how they're sort of presented. Uh, it's presented episodically. Every episode just happens to be way yeah, too they're all standalone, long. but yeah, yeah, they're they're like standalone episodes, and it's specifically referred to as an anthology series, but. Other than like the very loose, like each one's kind of about a holiday, uh, there's there's nothing connecting any of these together, you know. Mm-hmm. And and Masters of Horror, even though it, again it was a, a premium TV series, it never presented itself as an anthology. It just said like these are like every episode is a, is a short standalone film by a master, master of horror. That's it. This really pushes the anthology narrative, but there's nothing connecting any of these together really. yeah they don't live in the same town like they don't exist in the same universe or anything like that which yeah. would be it would be or interesting and fun give give me something in between like give me a crypt keeper or give me uh oh sure like a even, presenter even if you had like like something just like a, a broader narrative that that sort of intro uh-huh. and outro to each one so uh, something along like like creep show which i don't even like the creep show films at all uh oh no all the horror fanboys are banging their keyboards right now, but at least there's something that kind of like segues. It's like the you. Hitchcock series as well. Sure, that's another great example. There's a, there's a lot of examples out there of how to connect these things, and none of these really connect. And the only thing that seems to connect them is most of them are shit and look really flat and uninspiring. But yeah, there's just there, it just seems like so much lost potential. It's just dusty ass scripts that happen to be on someone's desk. And then, you know, the the Rolodex random choice filmmakers. And that's about it. Like, these these aren't... Yeah. There's no reason for this I, shit to exist. I, I, I found myself... And this gets back to sort of the cam point, uh, which is um, I found myself, like, too often... Because I watched, like, these six movies in a week. And uh, I found myself too often being like, man, I miss Truth or Dare. Like, Truth or Dare, which is not... 
you know, a quote unquote good movie, but goddamn, it's mean and it's yeah. like and it and it flourishes in its incompetencies. And yeah. it, it's like all over the place and sort of unwieldy in a way that these films just can't be uh, for mm. some reason or they're, they're just not allowed to be. And I would like, OK, so here's another example that kind of gets what you're talking about, Steve. Like, so we have uh, the second episode, which is Flesh and Blood, and it takes place in this house. Gorephobe and her dad. Uh, then episode four down, which is the Valentine's Day one, and it and it's two characters, and they take place in an elevator, um, and both of these have some an- ancillary characters come and go, like that would be another thing if each of these had a conceit that was shared, which was like this two-person film. The two-person, like, 80-minute film that takes place in, like, a certain area that, that turned itself into an exercise of how do we make this, like, vaguely holiday thematic thing um, be interesting uh, or and, uh, and this two-person, like, confined space thing. How do we make it interesting over and over again through the eyes of different directors? That would mm-hmm. be a great way to tie this. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like they could do even less work than you guys are suggesting and just call it something fucking holiday related. Why isn't the show like Blue Mouse's Holiday Jamboree or something? <laughs> what the hell's Into the Dark? You know, it's a, the most generic way, title you could ever call something. Yeah. Another way they could they could make less work for themselves is they could have just like not done this. That would have been zero <laughs> yeah, but work. There's, there's money here and... It, it, I like there's the no idea. reason why this shouldn't work at least a little right. and, and I guess there's a couple episodes that sort of do but it, again I think the main issue is get some of these guys out of here like Patrick Lussier who I, I'm familiar with because he was one of the big adopters of 3D especially in the horror genre when it was all the rage he did My Bloody Valentine 3D and uh, a Nicolas Cage movie Drive Angry which one did and, he do here know, he did he did flesh and blood which is perhaps the worst looking of the bunch in it's just you look at this and you're like this guy didn't give a shit about this it was he was just there to collect the paycheck he it's not his project he didn't care about it and yeah mm-hmm. i could say that with it's like yeah i got three weeks like once. yeah yeah there's i think the body which is terrible but at least it's a writer director thing it's this guy's God, passion so project. the only idea it's like he some seems CW. to have ever had in his life yeah, uh, but stuff like Puka, like I don't think Nacho was exactly bringing his A game. I think it's like he's incapable of not making something that at least looks decent. But yeah. again, I I don't think well, God, you know, so with bad. Puka, give a cursory Maros, pass to this. <laughs> Puka is noteworthy because it came out, let's see, two months before uh, Happy Death Day to You, and it is about grief. So actually. You know, <laughs> For the Vice UK readers out there, Puka is the first horror film about grief. Well, it's not a slasher, though. The article said oh, slasher. Oh, you're right. My bad. Okay. You win. Uh, is I, it not a I, slasher? Could you not see no. Puka as a slasher? Okay. No, it's just dog what? shit. It's no slasher. It's a psychological horror uh, that is, like, embarrassing. Yeah. It, it, I will it say, is an embarrassing movie. I will say, though, um, and yes, I agree, but New Year, New You, uh, which uh, you didn't get to, Steve, but this is a movie that um, is like, the first 30 minutes is like really fucking good. Um, and then the last hour is not very good, 
but it's not bad. It, it just sort of like uh, the actual slashing and chasing and all that stuff is, is just not very interesting. And it's like something we've seen a lot, but the way that Sylvia Tokal like is able to ratchet up um, this tension between these women uh, and also make a point about uh, which this is another thing that, that so we were talking about Cam, which Cam, I think, was the first Bloomhouse movie directed by a woman. Um, and it has like a real social satire and like it has a real like um, it makes a real point. Right. Like it says something about our commerce and our like uh, use of technology and in in ways that unfriended series did as well but um this uh uh new year new you which um also is directed by a, a woman also has ideas about technology and like current like self like or self-love movement and how it's commodified uh through you know instagram and and youtube um and it also has like real ideas about female friendship and uh friendship in general as it grows old and tenuous um it 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 definitely doesn't stick any sort of landing or really kind of it's one of those things where it's like man i wish this could have been an hour because that could have been really really good but that first half hour i think is like on par with something like uh kusama's um the invitation but what do you think myros uh i i liked it i think it's easily the best of these things but i a little less it than you probably i just think it's it's a i i would have almost liked this to be developed into an actual movie with the standard yeah. bloomhouse budget and maybe the script gets another pass mm-hmm. because i just thought it, it set up some dynamics that it never really paid off and the thrust of it just became this sort of, and I think it did have stuff to say about, like you said, kind of aged relationships and the resentments that grow. But I don't know. I wanted a little more Which is, traditional yeah. plotting because there's this whole setup of her resentment for this particular person. She seems to have, I mean, there's obviously a, a general resentment with career success and stuff of that nature, but there's, She's got a very pronounced scar on her face, and it seems like there's an mm-hmm. incident that occurred, and then the payoff is basically like she's angry with this other person because she bullied them, and she didn't bully the protagonist in high school. She bullied the friend, a character who is not in the film who uh, committed suicide at high school, and it seems like both of them bullied this person, but she blamed the more successful one for pushing her to do that, and that was the big crux yeah. for me i just wanted something this, more there. yeah exactly the stuff that um the stuff that it builds toward is less interesting than sort of the the vague stuff in the beginning that like you just sense from like before you know the backstory what's interesting is the tension because you know that there are you know uh, people have harboring um uh you know resentment for these people who are successful but seem kind of fake or just sort of like don't keep in touch with each other anymore like that type of stuff is more interesting and it's funny because i watched her the director's uh previous film from 2016 always shine which is like exactly that type of it 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 is that story but it's just two women and it's about this old friendship it's kind of like um 
reminds me of Reichardt's Old Joy, which is these two men who are kind of friends, used to be friends, and they take this this hike. And it's exactly that type of story where it's like these two old friends take this hike and stay in Big Sur, and all of these resentments like come out and evolve in ways that um, are abstract sometimes and sometimes very pronounced but um, it's clear that she knows what she's doing and something like this series Into the Dark it it really does seem to suffer uh, from perhaps Jason Bloom not really taking it seriously of being like this is a dump for me where I uh, yeah I don't have to take another um, I don't have to put the budget into taking another pass at this with hiring like extra screenwriters or I don't need to like really have much oversight on where you know what it looks like uh, after sure. the second edit, but it, it's and unfortunate. I, yeah, I get the sense that Takal had a very distinct vision in mind for the setting of the story, and again, the setup it was very accomplished. Uh, a lot of excellent shots. The credit sequence was beautiful, um, and I, I don't, I just oh, yeah. don't think they had the Forgot budget to that. realize it because this house seemed like such an interesting piece of architecture, but didn't really mm-hmm. exist in the film. It was just like a room and a couple doors. And you're like, okay, I see, I could see like something that she probably wanted to do and a way they wanted to use this set that they didn't have the budget to realize. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of unfortunate, but uh, nonetheless, uh, she pulled off something that, almost no one else in this series could, which is make uh, a pretty compelling 90 minutes of programming. <laughs> but you, but you I... loved, but you loved the one starring probably the most uh, well-known actor uh, to, well, no, that's Dermot. But um, in the, so after that one, we get down, which as I mentioned, was like these uh, two people in an elevator on Valentine's day, which is, I think that you you made a point offline, um, a good point about this being sort of like the perfect exercise for this, which um, I don't know. You could speak to that. But yeah, just like you have these two characters in, a, in an elevator. I don't need to go to the cinema to see that again. Like I can watch Devil or whatever that movie was called. Was that what it was yep, called? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Devil. Uh, I can I can rent that or, or pirate it uh, if I'm feeling frisky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What the hell was that called? M. Night's thing sounded uh, kind of like Into the Dark. It's like, Into the Night. <laughs> into M. Night. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, but this is sort of like, yeah, it is very much um, an exercise in concept that I would like to see more in this. And it just kind of like goes to expected places, but it's whatever. It's You could spend worse ways over 85 minutes um but then after that is uh we get sort of one of the better known actors um i can't remember his name uh, simpson uh, jimmy simpson yeah jimmy, yeah, simpson. jimmy mr. simpson mr westworld mr black mirror yeah yeah he's, he's in those he's uh he's also in another movie that i keep forgetting oh he was in date night uh he was one of the baddies oh. in date night um which is movie I'm oh by the of. way quick aside sean uh devil is part of the night chronicles oh uh, into the, the night poster. chronicles <laughs> the poster proudly proclaims that the night chronicles begin and i'm pretty sure they also ended it's a single chronicle is that yes. the only one i believe so yes. oh, it is so were they all supposed to be theatrical 
I believe so as well. I oh, think it was, this, it was 2010. I don't think people were thinking that forwardly to get him on the streaming I wonder, platforms. Yet. I wonder if he could curate a better uh, online series now, but I, I actually don't have faith in that either because he sucks. But um, oh, I mean, he's a genius, but uh, just, uh, you know, not my thing. Um, but yeah, after that, we get this Jimmy Simpson thing, uh, which I think you wanted to talk about Myros because it's, he's got some real issues that pop up although jimmy simpson i think does uh beautiful work um he pulls uh, off i agree he's excellent he he pulls off um something that few uh actors that aren't a-listers uh can do which is really really good drunk acting and i, I thought <laughs> i thought he was really funny and and convincing yeah uh if only the rest of the movie was remotely funny or interesting <laughs> anything I else I, I love this what movie a... too because oh, I, I don't love it I it, it, it's probably the worst thing for sure uh, right up there with Puka which also sucked balls but I, I love the like the, the social commentary that's kind of running through this because it, it bookends nicely with the first episode the body because the body is just like like the, the Joker monologue like edgelord fucking 4chan bullshit it's just like Oh, the darkness consumes me. I kill. No one cares. I don't care. Oh, and then, you know, beautiful women are like, cool, I want to fuck you. And in this one, uh, the the general thrust of the movie is what if Gordon Ramsay was <laughs> Weinstein and witches? Yes. Yeah. Right? Is that that's about it? That's it. it. Yes. That's good. Well, except not witches, but um, right. I, this movie, considering we just talked about a New Year, New Year, which is female directed, had a pretty uh, low key, a good message to it. You know, it, it, it said something. It felt uh, it felt like it belonged in the current climate. I mm -hmm. like it. It's pretty good. And then you have this, which is directed uh, unsurprisingly by a man. And I believe a man who has no theatrical directing experience uh it is also written by uh two men 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 and it it has it just fucking reeks of like woke twitter bullshit it's just like every platitude that anyone could possibly say is jammed into this fucking movie and it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I, it reminds I, I me of this this Alex Billingston guy or whatever his name is. Uh, the in oh wait no no that's somebody else. The In Snyder. That's right. The In Snyder talking about how he is working on this script for like Sundance Labs or whatever about like a black woman like hero or something. It, it's like what I imagine. He's like he's like yeah yeah. There's a lot of problems. That's why it, that's why I'm working on this type of movie. Like that's why I'm spending my time working on this. Like. That's kind of what I imagine is happening uh, behind this, which is like these three men incubating this story about like how, you know, men are culpable in like the most irresponsible and like dumbest like uh, carry through imaginably. Like, like it's, it's, a, it's a movie that doesn't really, it's, it doesn't really care that much about what's at stake it's it's just there as like a stamp like we don't get much about like this jimmy simpson character so basically he he apparently uh sexually abused like um 
a young girl. I can't remember. I think like a, a high friend. school girlfriend. I think there was a yeah. high school girlfriend thing where he essentially date raped her or something. Yeah, it was like a sister's friend and yeah. it was a long time ago. But also he's like on break because of like some weird controversy or something or maybe it's i don't know but um he came on to an interviewer i believe oh that's right, or, that's right. And there's also some intern he harassed or something he's just a harasser he's a he's a gropey sort yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't the characterization of him is um just so half-hearted uh and it, it isn't interested in really like um interrogating these things but what's so what ends up happening, and we'll spoil this because you shouldn't really spend time with this. Yeah, don't watch um, this. Um, heaven, don't, don't ever watch this. Actually, the the best perform or besides Jimmy Simpson, the best performance is like the um, the Agnes character, the the house taker. Um, but uh, um, he ends up uh, running into like these old uh, friends, or at least one of them, and her friends, one of which is uh, Stephanie Beatrice, doing an absolutely terrible performance. To my eyes, uh, but uh, you probably know her from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, but anyway, uh, he invites them over to his mansion to like try out his new meals that he's doing like uh, recipes for, and um, gets drunk and says awkward things, and then uh, they take over once he falls asleep or is drugged or whatever, and like pretend to do witchcraft to like scare him straight like out of his uh desires to be a creep that's, um, that's what this time's up movement's all about man you gotta <laughs> embrace fake so, witchcraft but and not only that but just the bare bones of like that like it's up to women to like fix these men it's just like such or a weird <laughs> message like and, and they but they're like so proud of themselves after it's just like it it's so tone deaf and we posit that this guy deserves a second chance and that again this narrative of fixing people is fucking insane <laughs> yeah uh, we gotta bring back cosby give him another <laughs> fucking shot now that he's scared straight that court case probably put the fear of god in him oh, we yeah. gotta get him back out there <laughs> i think really- i don't it's really bad. Yeah, it, it's almost like so. Yeah, it, it wants to address like the current culture and times and like the most like surface level tone deaf reading humanly possible, but then also like drive home this dipshit like. But we have to rehabilitate our celebrities because they're so important. Fuck you, good guy. What is the, like? It, 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 I have a lot of problems with this movie. A, all the witchcraft stuff just looks fucking embarrassing. I, and the score of the movie is like, holy shit, terrible. Like fucking <laughs> strumming folk bullshit. And then it has like the gall to try and do the Suspiria theme at some point. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? You fucking acoustic guitar asshole. Get the fuck out of here. Was it but, Tom, York, Tom, Tom York? That's uh, a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was doing with the rest of the movie. I just didn't fucking catch on. But A, this movie has nothing to do with Spring Break. B, this movie has nothing to do with the treehouse. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, C, Jimmy Simpson, in the entire film, never does anything uh, gross and rapey. Can we have him? I need... I need him to be a fucking scumbag. Stop with this yeah. shit of humanizing him constantly. The whole time he's like, Mr. Charmin, and sometimes he's a little rude or something, but it's like, 
He's yeah. just nice to everyone. What a great fucking guy. It's like, we why also got, are we doing this? We also got Lonnie, uh, who is the uh, fish bait and tackle shop uh, guy who you might know from Garden State. Mm. <sighs> yeah. I like. I just don't understand the compulsion behind this movie that seems to think it's progressive by being as regressive as humanly possible by... <laughs> By just insinuating that this fucking uh, apparently uh, decades uh, long sexual abuser um, is actually in his day to day life a great fucking guy, a pretty great fucking dad. I mean, a little absentee, I guess. But now that he's got great the fear of God, he's he's yeah, he's great at his job, of course. But uh, well, that's at least more he's realistic. He's not even perhaps, bad. Uh, uh, he's not even a bad father. He's just a busy no, no. father. Yeah, his opening thing with his daughter, it's like, oh, he cares about his daughter. Woo. Yeah, so the whole fucking movie is just like, yeah, but he might have done these things, but he's actually a pretty good guy. And now that this has happened to him, good thing he's part of society. Yeah. It's just like, what the fuck are we thinking about here? What the, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's terrible. And I think the big takeaway from this is if you're curious at all, about these films, uh, don't be. There's there's not a lot going on. <laughs> new Year, New You, if, if it seems like no, something... No, 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 Steve, we're going to do an episode on the last six, so we need right. people to be... We need to drum up interest So for that big episode oh, in September. Yeah. Well, uh, no, if we're going to drum, drum up interest, then we should definitely tell people not to watch these until <laughs> our next episode. Yep. <laughs> Because if, if you watch episode seven and follow along, yeah. If, if you start, if you watch the first six, your your brain's gonna melt out of your ears, and you're not gonna want to really continue to follow this shit. So, uh, you could yeah, get, it's, you it's, could get away with watching like uh, uh, New Year, New You, and and maybe Down. That's over long and a little bit problematic in and of itself, but at least it's it's just kind of like a classic yeah. bare bones movie it's just like here you go sure. it's like watching fucking p2 or something well yeah. have at it it's, yeah it's fine <laughs> well and you know what if you if you are gonna see a uh, a bloomhouse movie that's you know maybe out in the theaters huh because we we support our <laughs> local cinema and and we and we support physical media and you know because they're all everything's dying uh, you can go see happy death day to you and guess what Myros, I didn't forget this time. Guess what's going right here? It's the motherfucking song, baby. Right there. How'd you like that, Myros? Well, I, I guess this uh, officially designates Into the Dark as, as not film. No, it's a television anthology series that's made by Bloomhouse Television, a subsidiary of Bloomhouse Films, ergo. It does not get the theme song. All right, that seems acceptable. Yeah, we got to go to the movies to to get the take you to the movies song. So that's that's it. Anyways, <laughs> happy <laughs> birthday to popcorn. Yeah, got to get that popcorn, or else your movie theater is going to close. Happy birthday to you is it's fine. It's a fun little movie. This is this is what I I pay for when I see a Blue House movie. The the first happy birthday is probably one of the bigger surprises in the in the Blue House canon where. I figured it would be entertaining, but I assumed it would be entertaining on a truth or dare level where it's kind of like laugh along, silly, dumb, whatever. And it is silly and it is dumb, 
but also the original it's it's really sharply written and it just kind of moves along at such a fast click and it's charming and it just works and the second one is it's it's bold in its execution because mm -hmm. it makes all of the 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 time warp nonsense like so much more front and center which is always a bad idea you don't want people to start thinking about this shit too much because you're gonna run into issues uh right. and, and it definitely does the like we gotta do some science to science these problems algorithms algorithms and of course god you know if, if you're some uh colossal dickhead who enjoys cinema sins on youtube i bet you're gonna have a fucking field day with this one but at the end of the day it's a brisk movie the the lead woman what's her, what is her name again i can't believe i'm blanking on it um i can't remember she's good though yeah she's fantastic like she's just great as the character she's really likable and it's just yeah it's just fun if you like the first I, one you're gonna like the second one yeah it's funny because when it started uh or like the first like sort of 15 minutes um <clears throat> It transitions from like it introduces this new character, a uh, new protagonist, and then it it positions him into the world of the first one and the protagonist of that first one, and then she ends up taking over the film again. Um, but the way that they're dealing with like so, you know, the protagonist of the first one is, is sort of helping this new guy uh, figure things out and uh, initiating him into the world at the same time that she's initiating the audience into the world, which, again, is just sort of like smartly written uh horror movie or, or whatever you know sci-fi yeah, in the loosest wanna... sense yeah it's, right. it's, it's honestly it's... it's more sci-fi this time around it's like a sci-fi yeah. comedy with a few slasher elements to it it's like comparing i don't know like gremlins 2 is such a fundamentally different movie than gremlins 1 but they still sort of obviously share the same lineage and and, and some similarities and it's kind of like that where it, it definitely plays up the silliness uh and it's, yeah. it's way less of a traditional slasher horror film yeah yeah for sure it's and like it, it's funny because while this stuff was sort of developing i was like thinking about uh back to the future 2 and the way that the first and second movie are so much in conversation with each other mm -hmm. um and then she references back to the future and i was like oh well okay um and it's just sort of like you know sniffing it out uh what they kind of like knew was there but nonetheless it's fun um that they have this dialogue with the first one, uh, but it also sort of does its own thing. But yeah, it, it, it is like much more sci-fi than than horror. Um, but it's fun, and there's some good lines and stuff. But uh, you know, it's breezy, and it doesn't have that dullness, that undercookedness that uh, the Into the Dark movies have. Yeah, exactly. People look like they enjoyed making the movie, and there was some thought and love that went into it. Imagine that. It's a great concept. Myros, it you also has a weird like um, Prince of Darkness type of thing that it reminded me of. Like these like students in this one place with like the computer set up, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Is there a tube of Satan goo? No, unfortunately yeah. not. Satan is is the ooze from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't see this yet. I... Uh... I just managed to squeeze in the first one today, but I haven't made a point since I had not seen that. It seemed like uh, the sort of movie maybe I'd want to watch the first one first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. There's, I mean, there's a little recap in the beginning, but I, w I would not go there's into this one. a fun recap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it don't, almost don't works go into as this like previously on. Yeah. 
Virus, what did you think of the first one? Did you like it? Uh, I thought it was fun. I, I, you know, I'm not wild about any of the Groundhog's Day riffs just because it's like, well, I'd rather be watching that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the problem I had when I started that Russian doll show. I was like, wait, this is what this is? I'm not watching this. <laughs> <laughs> did right. you know that was but, the first TV show to deal with grief? Yeah. Uh, it's astonishingly new subject matter. Actually, I, I couldn't speak to it because I watched like 10 minutes of it and was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> Groundhog's Day. I'm not watching that for 10 hours. Are you kidding me? I'll just go watch yeah. Groundhog's Day. Ah. But I, I had the same thing with this, where Groundhog's Day is a very good movie, and Happy Death Day is a very fun little movie. That's the same thing. So it just kind of makes me want to watch the better movie, but uh, mm-hmm. it's still good. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun to just kind of wrap that up. One thing that I found interesting about both movies is they're even in the more slashery moments – they they build some decent tension, but there's there's not a lot of gore or anything. Like it's it's a Mm-mm. it's a very PG thirteen esque kind of horror film, which is almost refreshing because it seems like especially with the lower budget horror movie, they they just go all in on the gore effects. And this one, it's not really concerned with that, which is a weird thing for me to say because normally I, I like when they go over the top. But I, I think it helps with the the limited budget too because you know a lot of CGI and whatnot, and, and they're not really pushing that stuff. So. Yeah, it, it looks pretty good. It's fun. It's it's worth checking out. So, other than that, boys, I think it's about time we wrap things up. Uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? You know, I'm going, I'm going to uh, reiterate on my put over. Um, Sophia Tikal's Always Shine. Um, it's a movie I watched at uh, when I found myself awake at 4 a.m. this morning, and and I just kind of like put something on to put something on, and ended up like really transfixed um, and watching the whole thing um, with uh, wide eyes. But uh, it, it's in the same mold um, that Persona started, and that Altman's Three Women and Lynch's Mulholland Drive uh, picked up and sort of did their own riffs on. Um, it's calls riff on on that type of thing these two women um in a in a space and their uh issues and their identities going back and forth type of thing and just it and it and it has this uh it's a horror movie but not um in the traditional sense it's it's just like very eerie and the way that she builds tension in that movie is uh, just really smart um so and and it's 86 minutes and it's on prime so yeah always shine there you go all right Marios, what are you putting over this week oh and it also has mackenzie davis so people who love her in halt and catch fire and uh Tully and whatever the hell else she's good yes People love her in Tully. <laughs> I don't know. Some people probably do. Somebody loves She's Tully. good, though. She was, she, wasn't she in something else recently, too? I don't know. But she. I do like her. She's good. Yeah. She's good. Uh, I'm putting over something we also vaguely referenced earlier. Um, the Perhaps the only good thing to come out Russian of the dolls, trash fire. Russian first 10 minutes. The only good thing to come out of the trash fire that is uh, Mick Garris's uh, Masters of Horror which is also the last good thing that John Carpenter ever did, which is the season one episode, Cigarette Burns. Hey, uh, there you go. That's a good one. It's a it's, full, yeah. Is it like a full hour by Carpenter? Yes, yes, it is. And oh, it's cool. a very sort of Lovecraftian. It's about a guy trying to hunt down a print of a film that is uh, hmm. 
supposed to drive one insane and it uh yeah it's it's literally the only good episode of masters of horror in my mind i mean there's Where some other you ones find that it? are like okay but this is legit good yeah no that's that's where can you one. find it uh, uh masters <laughs> of horror good luck i think you might have to head to the old piracy machine I, it may be on like a showtime stream fire up the piracy machine i believe uh, it is uh perhaps if our library system had its shit together you could pull up a copy and stream it legally for free i'm very i'm very interested in this yeah uh it is quite good it is quite good mm-hmm all right. Well, guys, I'm putting over a couple different things. One, I got to put over my girl, Jessica Rothy, who actually plays the uh, the protagonist in the Happy Death Day series. Sorry, I forgot your name. I'm a bad person. I know you're an avid listener, big Optimism Vaccine fan. So yeah. just give me that shout Stop out. Stop the emails just for like one week. Just like. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Uh, also, you know, a uh, big shout out to my boy Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he's Hell also yeah. a big time listener, fellow Milwaukee guy. So uh, just want to give him a little love. But also, yeah, I noticed he was uh, quickly. Giannis was tweeting about uh, he, he asked, uh, where can I watch Game of Thrones? You know what I found interesting about that? He didn't ask, where can I hear Opvac? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he knows. He knows. Exactly. Oh, Sean, I have some good news for you. Uh, uh, cigarette burns and pr- presumably the entirety of the Masters of Horror series is is currently streaming for free on everyone's favorite service, Voodoo. Oh, <laughs> wait, do you have to have like a login or something? No, I believe you do freebie. not. I believe Voodoo Voodoo's like a uh, crackle type thing where oh, you just yeah. show you some ads. You no, just get like, a bunch of ads, right? It's definitely like crackle, but it's just like God, fucking crackle. It's like crackle is all these like 80s and 90s movies starring people you know but like you you didn't know these things existed it's just like hey you ever want to stream a 720p version of who is harry crumb that's that's an option <laughs> uh yes <laughs> there you go did you Crackle, did baby. you want to watch an episode of comedians and cars getting coffee uh, no. Nope. <laughs> Who is Harry Crumb, though? I'll, I'll get on that. But hey, the movie that I want to put over, it's actually two movies in one. It's coming to you from the American genre film, genre film archive. And they do a lot oh. of really cool shit, uh, a lot of good restoration stuff. Uh, they exhumed the Ed Wood film this year, yeah, last year. Yeah, they they exhumed an Ed Wood film that thought, people thought was lost. They've actually been really involved with something weird who did a lot of vhs and dvd releases of uh kind of you know exploitation horror pornographic just you know scummy films that are culturally interesting and they're they're starting to restore a lot of those uh, just they've been doing a lot of good shit lately but they've gone international because in may and up for pre-order now wherever you like to pre-order physical media which is dying you can get the <laughs> Wakaliwood Super Action Volume 1 collection, which consists of two films, Who Killed Captain Alex and Bad Black. So if you don't know what Wakaliwood is, it's basically these movies that are made for $0 in Uganda. And I have, I have a DVD copy of Who Killed Captain Alex, which oh, is amazing yeah. because it came with a signed picture of the cast that just says like it, it, the guy just wrote out like steve stay in school and then there's just a picture of the <laughs> cast from who killed captain alex and then when you get the dvd there's no case but they give you artworks so you have to supply your own case and then there's also there was a note in it that was like hey just so you know like 
uh, this movie was edited on like a Windows 95 computer and this is the only version we have because we had to delete the the hard drive to make the next movie because there's not enough space. So that's why there's a guy just like Jesus. randomly screaming over it. Uh, so that was interesting. And then also a, another note, a second note that explains that there are there's no like title or chapter screen on the DVD. It just starts playing. Mm-hmm. And that's because in Uganda, nobody has a DVD player that can support like chapters and stuff, which is kind of weird, but that's a thing. So yeah, it just, the movies, it, it, it actually plays it's like a v, VHS. Yeah. It, it plays the special features before the film. And then it plays the film <laughs> again after the film finishes, but with a different commentary track. It's fucking weird. Oh wow. But so this is, this is like a more, you know, the kind of release that we're used to here in the States or anywhere else in the world. But it's cool because the version of who killed captain Alex, they have, they have two versions of it. They have the version that I have where the MC guy is like screaming over it. And then they also have one without him screaming over it. So you actually have the option now. I'm assuming there's like chapters and shit like Blu-rays tend to have. And then bad black, which is screened theatrically a few times. Uh, they also have a version of that, but I believe it's only the version with someone screaming over it. So very exciting stuff. If you're into just like super fucking weird genre films that are unlike anything you've ever seen. And I don't mean that as like a, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. And then you're like, oh, this reminds me of this, this, and this. You have not seen a movie like a Hollywood movie. Okay. There's nothing like did this you, out here. Did you, watch, did you watch with the commentary? I did not. I, I did not only because when, when you watch who killed captain Alex, it's a lot. You, you just, need a breather. You need, you need to just stop and, and step away. And I probably would have. I've watched it about three times now since I bought it just because it's fun to show people and like watch mm-hmm. people watching the movie. And I think if it was easier for me to access the commentary track and the, and the special features and stuff, I would dive into those more. But because everything just plays like one long track it makes it a little difficult. Hey, you know what else? Uh, just got a proper like real Blu-ray release. Uh this month, I think, uh, your favorite uh, Greasy Strangler. Oh yeah, I saw that, which is good because I have some weird like printed on demand version of the Blu-ray that yeah. comes in an obnoxiously fat Blu-ray case that I don't like. So that's that's good info. It's good to know. So yeah, Sean, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Glennis. You can also find me uh, at Letterbox uh, as Sean Glennis. All right, there you go. Myros, you're not on the internet, but if people want to talk to Myros, you can actually email us at uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine on Twitter. And Myros uh, spends most of his days just diligently refreshing the inbox there. So uh, mm-hmm. something he's looking forward to is, is your uh, your comments and your thoughts, your death threats, We need to hear from somebody other than uh, oh, Miss Deste. Yeah. Or which we forgot her name again, so that's good. That's a great way to bookend this. Uh, if you want to reach me on Twitter, at Steve Cuff, that's at Steve, C-U-F-F. And, yeah, you can send me all your hate mail and tell me why Toby Hooper doesn't suck balls or, you know, whatever you want to do. But, uh, you know, other than that, I guess uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Mm-hmm.